Amen. Thank y'all so much, ladies. What a beautiful song, a beautiful reminder about where we are headed when we leave this earth. What a great question. Who will come and go with me as I'm bound for the promised land? If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5 this morning. As we continue to think about that idea of who's going with us when we go to heaven. Uh, last week we started and introduced a new series to you that we are referring to as Who's Your One? The idea is as we look at passages that remind us of the importance of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, of telling other people about who He is and what He's done for them, about how they can be saved from their sins, and as we all remember that that is a job for us, not just the pastors, not just the deacons, for all of us to share the gospel with other people. So we're going to see another text about that today in Luke chapter 5. If you would look there, we'll begin at the beginning of the chapter. Luke 5, 1 says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So here we have the setting. It's, it's a pretty basic setting, easy to understand. Some of you can probably even picture this in your mind. In, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus has been shown to be a, a great teacher, going from synagogue to synagogue in the towns. He's been shown to be a miraculous, uh, have miraculous ability. He has done many miracles. It says there that he healed many people. He does great things. And so the crowd that's following him has obviously began to grow. There's a man who's doing miracles. There's a man who's teaching with great authority. And so people are interested in this. They want to see this. They want to know more about this. And so it gets to the point here that they're by the lake here, and there are so many of them that there's no room. He's really almost being pressed into the water. And so what he does is he sees some fishermen's boats there, and he says to one of them, let me get in your boat and push out here. And he gets out in the boat, and he's going to teach, standing on a boat not too far from shore, teaching all the people gathered on the shore and telling them some of the things that they need to hear. Now, it does make uh, a very special point here that I want to make sure that you don't miss. That's whose boat this is that he's in. In verse 3, it says, Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. This is Simon Peter. We usually just refer to him as Peter. This is the apostle that will spend many times with Jesus, that we will hear speaking to Jesus many times. This is the first time that Peter and Jesus are really being introduced. This is Peter getting to see Jesus, and he's referred to here uh, at different times as Simon or as Simon Peter. Anytime you see that in this text... It's talking about the same man. So look in verse 4 to see what happens as Jesus goes out in the boat with the men. Verse 4 says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now, I know when you hear that, 
right? They put down the nets, and they get so many fish that the nets are starting to break. And so they call the other boat over, and they've caught so many fish that both of the boats are starting to sink that you say, that sounds like a Presley fishing tale. Doesn't it? I mean, that sounds like one of those kind. But that's, that's it in a Presley fishing tale. This is the real deal. This is really what happened. Jesus gets in the boat with Simon and Peter and he teaches. And so Peter's sitting there, right? The boat's not too big. Peter's sitting there and he's listening and he's hearing all of these things. And obviously he's noticing that there's something different about this man. And we see that in the way that he refers to him in verse 5. Whenever Jesus tells him to go out and put down the net, Simon says, Master which is a strong word showing somebody that would have respect. This man has gained Peter's respect just by the teaching that he's done. And Peter, by his actions, shows that respect as well. He says, we toiled all night. We fished all night. Literally, we've been out here the entire night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you said to, I'll do it. So they go out, and they put down the nets, and then, of course, we see the catch that they bring in here. What Jesus is doing here is Jesus is making very clear to these men who he is. Right? There are a lot of people that were on the shore just a little bit before that have seen some of the miracles of Jesus. I imagine that these men had probably heard the crowd talking about some of the things that Jesus had done. They hear his teaching. They see that there's something different about him. But now, in a miracle that wasn't for everybody to see... And a miracle that appears to be intended just for these men. Because, right, Jesus is there in the boat and he teaches the crowd. And when he's done teaching the crowd, he says, all right, let's go out a little bit further. Take the boats out here, right? Everybody on the shore doesn't see what's happening here. They're not all paying attention. They're probably dispersing and going home. And then for these men specifically, Jesus has something that he wants to show them. He wants them to see that there's something different about him. He wants these men to see that he is not just another man. And so he tells them to drop their nets in a place they've been fishing and haven't caught anything. They catch so many fish that they're sinking two boats with the fish. And point one this morning is this. Jesus leaves no doubt that he is God. Now, I put these in the bulletin this morning. Actually, Miss Jan did that for me so that you don't have to write these down if you don't want to. Point one, Jesus leaves no doubt that he is God. He gets in with these men, and he's teaching, and they're hearing his teaching, but even more than that, he shows them his miraculous power. He shows them that he can do things that no one else can do. He wants it to be clear to Simon Peter and to these other men that there's something different about him. And now that isn't just true for these men. Jesus leaves no doubt that he is God for all of us. Right, we can go back and we can see. Go back and read what Matthew says about him. Go look and see what Mark says, what Luke says, what John says, what Paul says, what Isaiah says, what Jeremiah says. Go back and look at what all these people say about Jesus. Go back and look and see what history says about Jesus. I believe if you truly look at history and truly examine it, that you will see that Jesus is God. Go and look at the tomb that he was put in after his death. And see that He is God. Because when you go there and that tomb is empty, it becomes very clear that this isn't just another man. That Jesus is God. He leaves no doubt about that for these men. He leaves no doubt about that for us either. But what we then have to do is we have to decide what we're going to do with that fact. 
When Jesus makes the claim that He is God, and when He gives us proof to believe that He is God, we then have to decide how we're going to react to that. We're going to see Simon's reaction here in just a minute. We're going to see what Peter does with this. We're going to see his reaction. But I want you to think about your reaction to this. Do you believe that Jesus is God? And not just believe with your head like, yes, my mama told me that and I'm going to believe what my mama says. Because just one chapter before, you may have it on your page there in Luke chapter 4, verse 34, we see this, a demon that's possessing a man speaking. And in verse 34 it says, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This demon believes that Jesus is the anointed one. He believes that Jesus has come to be the Messiah. He makes that clear. But this demon isn't saved. This demon isn't forgiven of his sins. This demon is still a demon. Who, although he believes that with his head, rejects it with his actions. And I would ask you this morning, do you just believe in your head that Jesus is God? Or do you believe in your heart that Jesus is God? Have you accepted this truth? Does the fruit of your life prove that you believe that Jesus is God? Because with the mouth one confesses, with the heart one believes, and that is where saving faith comes from, is true belief, faith in Jesus Christ. And we all have to make that decision. We all have to decide if we believe that this is true to the point of placing our faith in Jesus Christ and following Him. So look with me as the text continues. Let's see Peter's reaction in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, when he saw the miracle, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Now, most of this seems to line up pretty well, but part of that that Peter says there seems out of place. I mean, the first time I read that, you say, that doesn't sound right. right. You're standing there, and you're with this man, and he shows you this miracle, and you believe that he is God, you believe that he's the Messiah, you believe that he's the Savior. And so what do you say to him? You fall down on, right before his feet, and you say, depart from me, go away, get out of here. That doesn't make much sense, does it? Why would Peter say, depart from me? Why would Peter say, leave because I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord. Why would he say that? Well, it's what we sang about just a little bit ago. Isaiah has a very similar reaction, a reaction of astonishment. In Isaiah 6, 5 that Brother Shane read for us. Isaiah said, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, or I am undone, or I am ruined, or I am destroyed. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, when Isaiah stood in the presence of God, and he knew that he was standing in the presence of God, it had this amazing, humbling effect. And he, because he saw how great God was, realized how unworthy he was, and he thought, that's it, I'm going to die right here. I'm a sinful man in the presence of God and I'm going to die because there's nothing else that I can do. Job had a similar reaction. Job, the righteous man Job that we talk about that we're so impressed with. Job in chapter 42 verses 5 and 6 
Job speaking to God when he sees him says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, brothers and sisters, when we realize who Jesus really is, it makes us realize who we really are. And Peter right here says, I'm not worthy to be in your presence, Lord. I know who you am. Who you am. That's good, ain't it? That's good. I know who you am. And I know who I are. And you see that he makes that clear because in verse 8 when he says, Depart from me, he doesn't say depart from me because I don't love you. He doesn't say depart from me because I don't trust you. He says, Depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I don't deserve to be in your presence. Depart from me. Be gone. He didn't know it. He's astonished that he's in the presence of Almighty God. Peter recognizes who Jesus is. I want you to make sure that you make note of that. Peter recognizes who Jesus is, exactly who Jesus is. Not just that he's different, not just that there's something special about him. He recognizes that this is the Lord. And I love that he gives us another clue of this. Luke makes this clear in his writing, because in verse 5, remember how he referred to Jesus? said, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night, and talks about him. But then look again here in verse 8. He goes from calling him master, which is a sign of respect and authority. But in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and depart from me, for I am a sinful man, not O master. But he changes it. He says, O Lord. Depart from me, O Lord. And that term, Lord, was one in their time that meant somebody that had absolute ownership rights. Somebody that was completely in all authority of somebody else or something else. Peter changes from a respectful term, master, to saying, Lord, the owner of everything, the one that's absolutely in charge of everything. Peter recognized who Jesus was. And I pray that you have as well. I know that most of you think that that part's pretty basic. Brother Zach, you've preached to us for 15 minutes now about the gospel message and us understanding that. And you say, I am a Christian. But brothers and sisters, I want you to be reminded this morning of who Jesus is. I want you to feel like you should fall down at his feet and say, Lord, I'm not worthy of you. I'm not worthy to be able to talk to you. I'm not worthy that you would listen to my prayers. I'm not worthy that you would die on a cross for me. I'm not worthy that you would save me, that you would call me your son, your daughter. I'm not worthy that you would prepare for me a mansion in heaven. I'm not worthy of any of these things, God. I want us to remember, because of how great he is, how little we are. And we see that picture here with Peter, one of the great, the rock, Peter, as we see him falling at Jesus' feet and saying, I'm not worthy, brothers and sisters, we have to be reminded that we're not worthy. But Peter moves further than that. He doesn't just recognize who Jesus is. He also reacts to who Jesus is. Look in verse 11. I want us to skip there for just a moment. It says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I love that. I love that we see there, he doesn't just call Jesus Lord, but he shows with his actions that Jesus is Lord. Right? Peter recognizes Jesus and he gives up everything. He's a fisherman. It's what he does for a living. And to give up your boat and your net's a pretty big deal when you're a fisherman. 
Peter says, I don't need any of that anymore because I found what my life is about now. Peter reacts to the fact that Jesus is Lord. And point two follows along with that. Recognizing who Christ is changes everything. Changes everything. And for those of you that are here this morning that really get it, you know what I mean when I say that. Because when you came to the point that Philip Ross came to not too long ago, when you came to the point of recognizing that he was the only Savior and your only hope, and that he loved you enough to give his life for you, and that he wanted you to be his, that's all you needed to hear. You left everything behind. I don't need any of that stuff if I can have him. And you've been following him with your life ever since, and that's what Peter does. That's what these other men do here. They follow him. They give up everything because they recognized who he was. But then there's one aspect. I think a lot of us are okay on those first two points. I think a lot of you recognize that Jesus is God, that you have faith in Him, that you have given your life to follow Him. But there's one other thing that we see here, a very specific point in this text that I want to make sure that we don't miss today, and this will be the last thing that we'll look at. Look with me in verse 10. I'm going to read the entire, entire verse, but we're really going to focus on the second sentence. It says, and also, so also were James and John, they were also astonished at the catch. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. Now most, most of you that have recognized, uh, that, that have memorized that verse, that recognize that you haven't memorized it from here in Luke, you probably memorized this teaching from Matthew chapter 4 verse 19. But it's the same thing, the same meaning is in Matthew whenever he records it as Jesus saying, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men, right? That's what Jesus says here. Jesus gets into the boat with Simon and he teaches everybody and they push further out and he says, drop your nets. He drops the nets and they catch all the fish and Peter is amazed and falls at Jesus' feet and says, depart from me, go because I'm a sinner and I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve you to be here. He's astonished and James is astonished and John is astonished and Jesus says, don't be afraid. There's no reason for you to fear me. I'm here for your good. Do not be afraid of me, Peter. And then he says, for now on, you're going to be catching men. You're going to be fishers of men. That's why they leave the nets. You don't need a net to catch men in the way that they're going to be catching men. You don't need a boat. He says, you're not going to catch fish anymore. I've got a new job for you. He gives them a promotion. And it's the greatest promotion. And sometimes we miss this and sometimes we forget this. Because sometimes we look at this idea of catching men or being fishers of men as something that we have to do as Christians. We look at it as something that we don't want to do, but that we know that we should do. But here, Peter sees it, I believe, as a promotion. He goes from being a fisher of, of fish to going out in a boat every day and mending nets and fixing nets and trying to catch fish and trying to sell fish. He goes from doing that to following Jesus and learning from Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus and telling other people about Jesus. Jesus gives him not something, some new task that he should hate, but Jesus gives him a promotion. And point three, the last point that I have for you this morning is this. When we follow Christ, we bring others to Christ as well. Y'all see, that's a natural flow of this text. 
Go and read it in Mark. Go and read it in Matthew. When Jesus calls these disciples, this is what he says. You come with me, and if you come with me, you will become fishers of men. Not if you come with me, you might become fishers of men. Not if you come with me, you might tell other people about me. No, you're going to come with me, and if you come with me, and if you learn from me, and if you are truly following me, and if you are truly my disciple, and if you are truly going to see all the amazing things that I'm going to do, you're not going to be able to help but tell other people about me. It's going to be your life's goal and your life's work is to bring glory to me by telling other people about me. Peter recognizes who Jesus is, then Peter reacts to who Jesus is by following him, and then Peter receives this calling that Jesus has for him. And I fear that many of us have instead tried to reject this calling that Jesus has for us. We say, yes, I believe that you're the Lord of all. Yes, I believe that you're God Almighty. With my whole heart, I believe it. Yes, I want you to forgive me of my sins. Yes, I'm going to follow you. But no, I'm not going to tell other people about you. And that doesn't flow logically. Brothers and sisters, that doesn't make sense. But for years and years, we have lived our lives that way. Like, I can follow Jesus and not be a fisher of men, but Jesus doesn't seem to think that that's the way things would work. He seems to think that if you know who He is, and you know how bad they need Him, that you'd go tell them about Him. That I would go and tell people about Him. That I wouldn't think this is an awkward thing. This is a hard thing. That I would sit there nervous. Maybe I'm going to tell the waiter about him. Next time he comes up, maybe I'll ask my waiter if he knows about him. And he comes up and says, no, 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 not right now. He might think I'm strange. Somebody at the table next to me might think I'm weird. I'm not going to tell him about Jesus. But instead I'd say, good grief, Jesus is so amazing. How could I not tell this guy about him? Maybe nobody else has ever told this guy about Jesus. He's going to be so excited to hear this. He's going to want to know how he can follow Jesus. Because Jesus is that amazing, but instead we act like it's this hard, crazy, weird thing that we're not prepared to do. But Jesus said if we're following Him, He's going to make us prepared to do it. He tells us that if we are His, that He's going to give us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to give us power to be His witnesses. That's how this works. We have His power to be His witnesses on this earth. And so I ask you today, brothers and sisters, have you neglected any of the parts of Jesus' calling? Have you rejected Him, that He is God? Because if you have, you need, to stop, you need to start right there. If you have rejected Jesus, when He says, I am the Almighty God that created the entire universe, if you don't believe that, you need to start there. Because if you don't believe that, you're never going to do any of the rest of this. If you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you about that. I would love to tell you why I believe with all my heart that Jesus was here forever and ever ago, that He never had a beginning, and that this world is only here because He made it exist, and that it only exists for His glory. If you don't understand that, I would love to explain to you why I believe that to be true, why the Bible says that is true. But if you believe that, you say, Brother Zach, you don't have to tell me that Jesus is God. I believe that. Then that's great. So we have to go to the next step. Have you reacted to that by giving your life to Him? Because there are some people that say, yes, I believe, but you've never done anything with that belief. You haven't changed anything about how you live and who you are and what you do with your money and what you do with your free time and who you hang out with. None of those things have changed. Those things should change if you have made Jesus Lord of your life. 
But if you've done those two and you say, Brother Zach, I'm a Christian, I know that I'm a Christian, then my next question would be, then are you a fisher of men? Are you telling other people about Jesus? Are you making disciples of all nations? Are you being His witness in Jerusalem and Judea, in Brookhaven and Wesson, in Kapiah County and Lincoln County, in Mississippi and to the ends of the earth? Are you doing that? Because if not, you've been told that you're supposed to. And you're just neglecting what Jesus has told you to do. And if you believe He's God, you do what He tells you to do. I believe that with all my heart. So this morning... I don't have a challenge for you, but I believe that this text does. And for some of you, it's a challenge to believe that He's God. For some of you, it's a challenge to give your life to Him. And for some of you that have done those two things, it's a challenge to do what He has called you to do. To tell other people about Him. And it's an exciting opportunity. Brothers and sisters, it's a promotion to be able to tell people about Jesus. It's not something that we deserve. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. And I don't know which one of those categories the Lord is speaking to you about today. I don't know if there's something else that He's speaking to you about today. But I pray that if there's something that He's calling you to do, if there's some way He's calling you to respond, that you would come and do that. Maybe you want to come and tell the church something that He's done for you. Maybe you want to make clear to all of us so that we'll hold you accountable what He wants you to do. Come and do that. Come and pray at these altars. You say, I want somebody to pray with me because I don't know how to pray. Come, I would love to pray with you you've got questions, come and ask those questions. Sing out of joy and response to Him, but you do whatever you feel that the Holy Spirit would have you do this morning as the Lord leads us and Brother Shane leads us as well.